0: Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49 representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm a retiree and a volunteer for Chapter 49 in the area of communications. Duncan Giles, our chapter president, is here. So uh, Duncan, welcome once again. It's always a good day.
1: Good to be here with you, Larry. Thank you.
0: And here we go uh, with another Chapter 49 podcast after the holiday uh, hiatus. We've been able to to do this every week, and uh, we've been doing it on Fridays lately just for some reasons about how things fall on a calendar. I want to start off with uh, the fact that uh, I think that uh, we should all be very proud, particularly you, that uh, another IRS chapter has uh, listened to our podcast, and they've decided to copy us. They've started their own. It's one of the larger chapters In NTEU, Chapter 66 at the Kansas City Service Center. So you should feel good about that.
1: Um, I do. uh, Chapter 66 is a very good chapter. They've got great leadership in uh, their chapter president, Shannon Ellis, and then their uh, first vice president, Daniel uh, Sharpenberg, who I've communicated with quite extensively. And they decided that they wanted to give this a try after hearing several of ours. And uh, I wish them all the best, and I think it's a great idea. Anytime we can get information out to our members, I think it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I know they tried some video, and we may do that someday, but I I think the podcast is maybe the best way to communicate with people because if you're able to, you can sometimes uh, listen while working or listen while you're doing the dishes or vacuuming the carpet or whatever you might be doing. You can listen to a podcast while you're doing jogging, whatever it might be. So this is why we, I've always felt that the podcast is one of the more effective ways to get information out and talk to people. So, so far we have a, a loyal audience. Uh, it varies a little bit each each week, but we I think, got a solid underpinning of people who like to listen. And we appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoy these podcasts, feel free to share the wealth, share the link. And if you'd like to have a link every week to our new podcast, just communicate with Duncan Giles. If somebody is not on the IRS email, they're on the IRS email system, they can find you under Duncan Giles. If somebody wants to email you outside the IRS system, how would one do that?
1: They can either email me at duncan.giles at irs.gov or the chapter email at nteu49 at aol.com and your idea about video would be fine except as everybody who knows me will testify, I definitely have a face for radio.
0: Well, I hate video as well, so we'd have to find somebody else to do it. (laughs) As far as being on camera, you know, that's, (laughs) yeah, that would uh, be a lot of fun. Uh, I want to mention something to start off with here, and I think it's it exemplifies a new tone and, and emphasis from the, the White House and the president. President Biden, just uh, a day or two before we recorded this, went to the State Department, talked about foreign policy. That got most of the news, which would be understandable. But he also uh, praised the, the Foreign Service. And in addition to that, he praised and, and talked about the entire federal Civil service and what an important cog that is, an important work that we all do uh, in in the way to help the federal government work. And and Duncan, that's it's so good for those of us, even those for those of us who are retired, but certainly those still working, must uh, be a good feeling to know you have a president that appreciates your work.
1: It really is, and I I give full credit to President Biden in uh, his administration for this. The reason I think it happens is because President Biden has spent a lot of time, many, many, many decades, well, years, but not that many decades in the Senate, then eight years as vice president. He's very familiar with the work that federal employees do. And, you know, more than any other administration in recent memory that of either party, it doesn't matter which party, he knows what we do day in and day out. And not only does he know the good work that we do, he appreciates the efforts that we put in. So it's very good, and uh, I'm thankful to hear that type of uh, talk from an administration.
0: I want to move on to a nuts and bolts issue. It's one of those great uh, issues we have in tax law so many times where there are unintended consequences. As Duncan and I have talked about on numerous uh, podcasts, as we all know, for something like the last quarter of 2020, uh, Social Security withholding was held in abeyance, deferred, if you will, and now in, in 2021 that will be paid back over a year's time. But we're now finding out as people start to file their tax returns, particularly uh, people who are on the lower end of the income scale, that there's something called the, uh, most of us t- with children take a child tax credit if uh, if eligible, uh, but there's something called the additional child tax credit, which is geared to lower income people who are working, part of the formula to determine whether you're eligible and if so, how much additional child tax credit you get is tied to the amount of Social Security withheld. Well, guess what? A whole chunk of 2020 had no Social Security withholding and you either do it, uh, do the form yourself or you go on your software and all of a sudden you find out either you have dramatically less credit or you have none at all. This has been brought to the attention of uh, the management by NTEU. What, what's uh, management said in response so far?
1: Well, the initial uh, reaction was very much along the lines of Austin Powers. Uh, first, we plan to shat ourselves and then we're going to regroup. Um At this point now, they're trying to figure out what to do because it comes up on the Form 8812 when it's done electronically with some of these uh, software companies that you use for tax preparation. So they're reaching out to these companies to see what can be done. Um, We're trying to avoid having to do a massive amount of amended return, 1040Xs, uh, for these folks who are the same ones that would qualify for the ACTC are also the ones that would get the the additional child tax credit, would also have been the ones impacted by having the Social Security deferral. So it's right now it's a mess. IRS is working diligently to try and fix it, but we're not sure yet what the fix is going to be.
0: Well, and the tax law will have an impact, and uh, this is one of those situations where because it is a tax law interpretation issue, uh, the IRS Office of Chief Counsel has to be involved. They have a long and arduous approval process, which you might imagine. So uh, do we have any kind of interim? Do you think the IRS will at least give us some interim guidance on what to do in the meantime?
1: I would hope they would come out with something interim or um, frequently asked questions, but Unfortunately, when it comes to this type of situation, right now in the frequently asked questions in regards to the Social Security deferral, it still doesn't mention how the payback should be done. And that was done back at the end of the year. They haven't updated that. They want to, uh, you know, they're getting ready to come out with an update about the extra annual leave that you were able to carry over into the 2021. 20, uh, pay period calendar year. Well, that's already passed, too. So, it, you know, our, our record on IRS's record on frequently asked questions or getting out guidance quickly, unfortunately, is not good. I understand wanting to dot the I's and cross the T's, but I go back to one of my favorite sayings from a former commissioner, Charles Rosati, and I use this all the time. I'd rather be roughly right than precisely wrong.
0: <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> that is so true. You know, I uh, as I've mentioned before, I've taught classes for tax professionals after retirement for about five years for Indiana University. And uh, you hear from the tax professional community when they bring something to the attention of the service where some guidance is needed, something falls to the cracks like, like this situation. Yeah, don't hold your breath for the answer. They'll tell you, we, we're on it, we're dealing with it, but don't expect that answer right away. And part of that is they want to, Chief Counsel wants to be right. And roughly right's better than precisely wrong, as uh, past Commissioner Rosati has said. So we're still waiting on that. So if it impacts you, well, uh, NTU is, is doing its best to get the answers, or at least if there's an interim answer we can get you. So far, there's there's been no precise response on this, but we're waiting.
1: Yeah, NTU is pushing hard, but in situations like this, unfortunately, the only thing slower than the IRS is me in the hundred yard dash.
0: Well, when you have tax compliance as part of your job, it's nice to know what the law is so you can comply. I mean, that it's would not be like, helpful. Yes. not <laughs> like it's a mood. And speaking of that, we have yet another issue, and this has to do with um, hacking, I guess, fraudsters. Mostly fraudsters. I mean, let's face it. You know, the, the government with w- knowing that uh, the COVID. Crisis and pandemic had severely damaged the economy. The government was quick to try to get extra unemployment benefits out to people uh, and that to, to get that money in circulation. Well, part of that is that, you know, maybe there wasn't everything checked out the way it should have been or in normal circumstances. So, what's happening is some fraudsters have been filing so not social, media, some fraudsters have been filing unemployment benefits for people who don't even know these benefits have been claimed and it's been sent to the fraudster not the uh, person whose name is on it and we're now getting reports of people receiving a 1099G which is how you report unemployment benefits received people are receiving these 1099Gs and in fact did not collect unemployment again this can have an impact on on people's tax compliance so what, do we know what uh, IRS employees who are watched closely for tax compliance, how these employees are supposed to handle these 1099Gs?
1: Well, this story is basically evolving as we're even recording this um, because they are still finding more and more cases of this. Even people in charge of fraud for unemployment in different states are getting hit by this. Um, which i find fascinating and very ironic i haven't heard of it being widespread in indiana but that doesn't mean it couldn't happen at you know the, the people couldn't get 1099 still now for this the irs advice to that have come out so far is to go ahead and file your taxes not claiming this money that you didn't receive that's all great for taxpayers but that's not good for irs employees because that will lead to employee tax compliance coming and knocking on your door with a letter, wanting to know what's going on. So we're hoping to get some more guidance there. I do know that there have been some discussions with ETC to make them aware of this so that people who you know didn't do a darn thing wrong shouldn't have to deal with an ETC inquiry over unemployment that was fraudulently claimed in their name.
0: You know, ETC is is an interesting program. Uh, When it was first implemented, I do remember there was a tax year while I was still employed at the IRS where I needed to file an amended return because some some, uh, situation had come to my attention I wasn't aware of. I filed the amended return well before the due date, paid the tax, additional tax, well before the due date, and I got a letter from ETC which made no sense at all to me. They were just sending it to anybody who filed an amended return. You know, so sometimes ETC will just send the letter out and let things fall later. Um, so I, I, this is why I, this whole issue got my attention, because um, NT, NT, I know NTU is trying to head this off in the past, like you said, with discussions with the ETC. One would hope they would be fruitful, but one wonders based on past experience.
1: One wonders big time based on past experience with EPC. I will say that they are better than they used to be under a former manager who I won't name, but, uh, who, who on more than one occasion, uh, he cursed me out and I cursed him out. And I rarely have that type of interaction, but it was just so bad under that. But that, that means the bar is so low. It could do nothing but get better.
0: Moving on to something else. Um, There's been a a hotspot pilot being conducted by the IRS. Hotspot basically is technology where you pick up an Internet signal, basically like a a cell phone signal. It's it's available most places, although rural areas can be spotty. In most places, you can pick up that that cell phone-like signal, and the hotspot will amplify it so you can use it for your computer, use it for work in some cases. There's been a pilot on hotspots to test out how it might work for people working in the home. What do we know about that?
1: Yeah, basically when they were in a rush to get as many folks from uh, accounts management AM um, on the phones as possible to answer taxpayer questions, we had a um, not majority, but a sizable population of folks that did not have internet at home. And so the IRS decided to issue hotspots to those uh, phone assistors to see how it would work if they could take e- calls using that. The IRS has told us that the pilot is coming to an end, and I had to make sure and clarify um, with the great assistant to the national president, Doreen Greenwald, Uh, and she did reaffirm to me that the end of the pilot doesn't mean that they're calling people back who are using these hotspots to answer phone calls. It means that they're done gathering their data as to whether it's a success or not. If they wanted to call people back at this point where the hotspot is working, uh, National NTU, I can flat guarantee, is going to have some uh, questions and long discussions before that happens.
0: So uh, hopefully more on that later. We don't have the results of that. Does the management indicated when the results of that pilot will be made available to NTEU?
1: They have not said anything. All they have said is the pilot is coming to an end, which means that, you know, God only knows when we might get the results. So, no, there isn't, there isn't a finite time yet on, on when we might see, they might share those results with us. Uh, but we're hoping it's going to be fairly soon.
0: But they have the data. They just have to dissect it and analyze it and figure out what it means at this point is what I would hope. Correct. Let's move on to something else. There's there's a body that probably most federal employees are not familiar with. If you're involved in union activities, you probably are. It's uh, The acronym is FSIP. It stands for Federal Services Impact Impasse Panel. It's basically called the impasse panel by most people. This is the body that settles labor disputes between management and, and, and the unions within the federal sector. And if uh, an agreement cannot be reached on, on some uh, matter, usually contracts of some sort, uh, they bring in neutral uh, people to try to, to get an agreement. If that can't be done, they will make a decision. The impasse panel in the last four years has been a very interesting group. Not very friendly to employees, but that's one thing. Uh, what NTU has seen is that the impasse panel went way beyond that, and in some situations created its own law, uh, made rulings that did not even appear to be consistent with the statutes that govern its work. I mean, it's 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 way be we found way beyond just being not friendly to employees and unions and too friendly to management. It was just a radical kind of thing and uh, NTEU has many pending cases in court which we hope will be taken care of now. So basically the Federal Services Impasse Panel of the President, President Biden has asked for the resignations of all the members. I think all but one did resign and that person was fired. So there'll be a new Federal Services Impasse Panel. This is not unprecedented. George W. Bush did the same thing when he became president. So the firing of the impasse panel by a new president is allowed under the law. The Federal Labor Relations Authority, which also has uh, an impact on relations between unions and and management in the federal sector, and now has a, a, a new uh, head of that as well. So we're seeing some changes. Let's just stay with the impasse panel for a moment. I know this is a bit arcane for some people. What does the change in the impasse panel mean for the average IRS employee?
1: Uh, it is actually huge. Having having dealt with uh, an NTU team that has gone before the impasse panel, I'm very familiar with how they work. And what's what's happened is it's always been natural. If you have one type of administration, they're going to be more pro-management. If you have another, they're going to be more pro-labor. But there's a Uh, You know, the pendulum doesn't swing that far one way or the other. It'll tilt, but it won't swing that way one way or the other. Uh, This latest FSIP that we've had has, as you um, indicated, has just been absolutely ridiculous in not coming anywhere close to what independent third parties have recommended, what the statutes say, they've created their own law. Um, impose things that are just so draconian uh, it is absolutely ridiculous and we were you know our contract is up here at the IRS and we're getting ready to go into and we will be this spring in the negotiations and if we went in there all IRS would have to say is no 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 we don't like anything we don't like anything and if they'd have gone before the impasse panel The impasse panel could have just agreed with everything that the IRS had proposed, regardless of whether it made any sense legally or otherwise. And that is a scary, scary, scary thing. Now that we're going to have members that are going to be more balanced, um, we're not going to get everything we want, but we're going to be able to make rational arguments over our positions. And we believe that they'll be heard fairly. And that's absolutely essential when you're dealing with these types of situations where the parties just get so entrenched one way or another that they just can't come to a meeting of the minds. The vast majority of contractual things will be able to come to a meeting of the minds. Yeah, one side or the other might not be that happy with it, but we can live with it. But there are some things that come out that you can't live with. A great example is quality step increases. That's where we went to the last time with the impasse panel because we wanted to make sure that it was done fairly correctly, you know, due to gender, age, um, everything else and along racial lines of the whole nine yards, but we could not come to an agreement. So it went to the impasse panel. And basically we were negotiating up right up until the time we decided let the impasse panel take care of it because we're not going to agree to anything that the IRS is proposing on this because we don't believe it'll be fair and equitable. So, and the impasse panel came back with something we didn't like. And that was, you know, a panel that wasn't overly anti-union. So it could be, it could have had devastating effects on the working conditions for IRS employees.
0: I think it's worth mentioning, Duncan, that many of the benefits that people at the IRS receive in the bargaining unit were, and even some people in non-bargaining, because we we set the stage for this, um, that, you know, NTEU guarantees these benefits through the contract. Telework is one example. Uh, Awards would be another example. Uh, you know, I think there are just so many benefits that people take for granted. If that impasse panel had not changed, uh, management could try to take those away in the next contract or at least limit them to such an extent very few people would ever have, have any benefit of that. So this that's why I think uh, the impasse panel change by the president is quite important to all employees. There are so many benefits one gets from the NTEU contract, uh, that uh, they would all be in peril if the impasse panel was—and this is not a matter, as you said, Duncan, of the impasse panel always going along with the union. They were uh, just—they at least were dependable to take a, a decision based on the merits and the facts. And the recent impasse panel, really, based on the evidence we could see, just wasn't doing that. So that's my two cents worth.
1: Yeah, they just yeah. The most recent panel was just out to gut employee rights. Quite frankly, um, union they wanted to disembowel unions at every chance they got, and they wanted to eviscerate any employee rights that they could, and they were successful in doing so in some agreements, not IRS, but in some agreements uh, across the federal government. NTU has fought back where we where it's impacted us directly and the employees we represent in different agencies and gone to federal court, because as you said, they're just, they weren't based in any sort of statute law, anything of that nature. They were just pulling things right out of the air that had no relation to anything aside from the fact that it was their whim.
0: Let's move to a a COVID related issue. Uh, President Biden issued an executive order, Tell me, if I get this wrong, but I believe it says that any government office office should be not over twenty five percent capacity. Excuse me, capacity due to COVID spacing and so forth. So, has the IRS been compliant with that, or all IRS uh, posts of duty around the country at twenty five percent capacity?
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm going to be Mister Universe this year as well.
0: I was waiting for the um, next line on that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right now, apparently there are about 85 posts of duties across the country that are over the 25% capacity. None of those are in Indiana. In Indiana, including at a call site in Indianapolis Federal Building, the people that are not teleworking, that are working inside the building, it is less than 25% of the workforce, and they are all properly distance social distance. But a lot of it is in, uh, in service centers for the most part, but some of your larger posted duties across the country that have sizable, uh, uh, taxpayer offices tax, they, their IRS has said they're trying to look at this, but they have some things that are quote essential, uh, that need to be done that will require a more than 25%, um, uh, basically putting people in there. So it's it's going to be interesting to see um, how we get these executive orders um, correctly imposed and also still be able to do the business of the service. It's going to be interesting in in some of those places. So are taxpayer
0: assistance centers essential, or do we have an answer on that?
1: Depends on the day. Um I think that right now they are considering them essential, which is quite a switch from it has been, you know, uh, as you and I both know, they've let those uh, tax across the country pretty much die on the vine because the cost per interaction is much less on having them do it via phone and even much less even for that, uh, do it online. But they are now starting to staff those tax up and are Thankfully, um, regarding them as more important because there are a lot of low-income taxpayers and elderly taxpayers who just aren't comfortable um, either, you know, God knows, using a computer or talking on the phone or waiting on the phone. They want to talk to somebody in person, and that's what they're most comfortable with. So I do believe the IRS is looking at them as more essential employees nowadays, and I think that does have an effect and an impact on the uh, 25% capacity.
0: I would say based on what you've told me, there's not an office, even including the call center and the whole IRS in Indiana that comes even close to 25% at this point.
1: That would That's my understanding from what I've been able to hear and what I've actually seen. Yeah.
0: Well, there's something else, go, a couple other things going on that we'll, we'll touch on here. And, and uh, that one has to do with webcams. I believe NTU and IRS have a a pending issue outstanding on that. I won't get into all that unless you wish to, but um, I guess the question of so many of of the IRS interactions, meetings, uh, other interactions, even training in some cases, uh, can the management say that you must use the webcam if you have one? I assume the laptops have them installed. Are you required to use a webcam?
1: Absolutely freaking not. And that's part of the national agreement. And the wording is is this. Employees are encouraged, but not required to use webcams for a meeting. So management can strongly suggest they can say, I'd really like you to do that. But they cannot mandate you doing that. They cannot force you to do that. They can't write you up for not doing that.
0: That you could simply participate by voice and and that would be sufficient, then
1: absolutely. And I've done that with a lot of meetings that I've had, um, with IRS different teams and discussions and things of that nature. And they've said, you know, will you, you know, can you turn on your camera? And I'm like, nope,
0: (laughs) what the man who loves to be on video won't be on the webcam,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like. And you know, and I've told and I've talked this uh-huh. to managers for I don't know how many years since webcams have come about. Not only can't you do that. Many times when people are working at home, I'm willing to bet big money. Oh dear God, you don't want to see that.
0: <laughs> I have to tell you, I was uh, in a, I worked one tax season for Intuit uh, on the TurboTax helpline. This is right. Just a year or two after I retired, we were in a training class, and uh, they they didn't have the technical capacity for us to use webcams. But the person teaching the class could sometimes share screens with her, with the permission of the person. Uh, uh, But uh, there were some, even when the people were sharing their screens, some pretty embarrassing things came up, and we weren't even using webcams. (laughs) I don't. Know. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. That's not something the, even the management would always want to see. So, Just no. I, I,
1: go back to um, an old steward and chapter treasurer we had named Brian Costick, who is a revenue agent up in um, Fort Wayne, Indiana, who told management, "Yeah, I'm more than happy to wear wear do a webcam. If you want to see me in a meeting, you know, in my pajamas, I'm perfectly happy to do that." And I looked at Brian and I said, you're wearing pajamas? And he goes, I would wear that formal wear for a meeting most of the time. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Yeah, Brian, be, I had be,
0: great many memories of Brian. He was, he was. Yeah, he, he be was careful a- what you ask for.
1: You'll get it. So it's it's yeah. one of those things that, yeah, bro- you know, bro- I understand what management is saying, but there are, again, unintended consequences, and they just can't force that.
0: Yeah, Brian was pretty succinct in that one. We have good members <laughs> of Brian. I hope he's still doing well wherever he is and whatever he's doing. One last thing I want to bring up here. Uh, this came up through the Reuters News Service. I don't think anybody else has reported this yet. They seem to have an exclusive on it. But based on a story that they have run on their wire service, The National Finance Center, which does the payroll for IRS and a number of other federal agencies, appears to have been hacked. Now, I know NTU is trying to find out what it can about that. It's probably one of those things that, you know, Treasury has to get involved with. But uh, has management communicated anything? I know NTU has been pursuing this. What do we know, if anything?
1: Uh, We know very little. We believe... Uh, that this is part of the massive hack that was done um, that's been identified as uh, Russian government hacking. Um, But we don't know the, the length of it, the extent, and what was done. But we do know that the National Finance Center was hit. And I can tell you that National NTU is pressing very, very hard to find out exactly what was hit, how bad it was, And then if we need to come up with credit protections, as we have in the past, that we're going to insist on that.
0: Okay. Well, I think that uh, that wraps up our uh, issues for the week. Anything you would like to add before we wrap up yet another podcast?
1: I just hope uh, everybody stays warm this week. Uh, It's supposed to get cold here in Indiana. I'm not sure about the rest of the country, but it's going to get really cold here. So stay warm, wear a mask, and you know, if you're going into the office, be aware of your surroundings. We're still hearing a lot of chatter, nothing solid, nothing specific, but a lot of chatter about government buildings. And so, we want to make sure that everybody is safe. That's that's my main goal always. I want my employees safe.
0: And if you National see
1: National Ntu wants the employees safe, so we're always looking out for that. So just be aware.
0: And if you say if you see something, say something. Something does it doesn't look right or you see something suspicious get on the phone or whatever communication you have and, and let somebody know right away. I, in this environment I suspect it will be followed up upon
1: very quickly. <laughs> All
0: right. Duncan Giles, you just heard him. He's our chapter president for chapter 49. This you've been listening to the chapter 49 prod, podcast. My name is Larry Lannan, a retiree and I help with communications as a volunteer with chapter 49. Uh, We appreciate you being with us. We hope to be back next week. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind.